Welcome to Practically Fit, Real Fitness Over 40. I'm Jen Chamberlain. And I'm Alex Johnson. And today we're going to talk about toxic fitness culture. What is it? How long has it been a thing? And what's the antidote? Yeah, Jen, and I got to say, after doing our research for this one, I think this is going to be an epic podcast. There's so much out there on this subject. We can't address it all in this podcast. I think it would take an entire podcast series to look at toxic fitness culture over the years. So this is a bit of a deeper dive on the podcast, and we're only scratching the surface. Yes, there is so much out there uh, already. But let's start by defining the term. What do we mean when we talk about toxic fitness culture? I guess I would define toxic fitness culture as anything that's designed to make you feel less than, which is If you think about it, it's honestly the basic premise behind modern advertising, right? It's feeling like you're less than, so you need the product that's being sold. But also, I guess for me, anything that prioritizes a specific and for some people unattainable body aesthetic over another. Uh, Alex, how would you define toxic fitness culture? Yeah, so I, I think it's definitely everything you said, making people feel like they have to look a certain way and that extreme diet or fitness routines are the only way to get there. I also think, for me, a key factor in driving toxic fitness culture is mass media. Today, oh, yeah. it's social media. We, we talked about Instagram on the first episode. This is something that drove us to start the podcast and the newsletter. We want to get away from this to- toxic fitness culture. But in the 90s, as we talked about on that first podcast, it was fitness magazines, men's and women's magazines, oh, yeah. bodybuilding magazines. Glamour, Cosmo, Maxim, Playboy, these are all promoting certain body aesthetics. And then I think, so I think that presence of mass media really helps the toxic culture take hold. And I think there's also an element of greed in it uh, and people wanting to make money. So I think all of that gets wrapped up into this discussion of toxic fitness culture. And as we look through time, I think we'll see those threads that we just discussed going through this discussion. So, so Jen, how long exactly has toxic fitness culture been around? Well, Alex, how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) The ancient Greeks and Romans had some definitely toxic ideas about fitness. You know, if you think about the statues in ancient Greek and Rome, I wonder if those were like the Instagram of the day, you know, like (laughs) perfect body and you walk through the streets and you see these statues and you're like, I can never live up to that. Uh, All joking aside, though, if you want to go all the way back, the University of New Mexico has this fascinating history of fitness page where you can go all the way back to ancient Greece and Rome if you want. But for our purposes, I think it would make sense just to focus on the United States. And Alex, you've done a little bit of research into the whole bodybuilding culture. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. We could, you know, we're starting with the United States. I think if we went back 20 or 30 years, we might start in France, interestingly, but we'll we'll stick to the United States. (laughs) So in my research, I was able to trace a lot of this culture back in the United States to a guy named Bernard McFadden. And I got to tell you, maybe we'll share out the Wikipedia link for, for Bernard it is crazy stuff. Wow. He was he was born in 1868 in Mill Spring, Missouri. Uh, notice I call it Missouri. My mom's from there. That's what mm-hmm. she calls it, not Missouri. It's a whole thing. It's a whole big <laughs> debate. So hopefully we haven't offended any of our listeners who call it Missouri. But he was actually born as Bernard Adolphus McFadden. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, at some point in life, he thought he needed to change his name to sound stronger and more masculine. So instead of Bernard, 
he changed it to Bernard. So hmm. th- I may actually need to spell that because it, I don't know that it comes across on the podcast, B-E-R-N-A-R-R, because he thought it sounded like the roar of a lion. So maybe it was wow. more like Bernard, Bernard. Bernard. <laughs> right. So he, he changed his name. He also lowercase the F in his last name because he thought that was more masculine somehow. So originally it was MC capital F, and after he changed his name, it was MC lower F. So you wow. kind of see what the type of personality is here that we're dealing with based on just his name change alone. So his story, summing it up, he had a desk job as a teen and he got out of shape. Sounds mm-hmm. familiar, right? Yeah. Of sitting Happens at a desk, we know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he'd be mortified if he came into 2022 and saw how people were sitting at desks <laughs> right. all day long. Uh, so to get out of this physical funk, he started lifting dumbbells. He was walking with lead weights in his clothes, which, mm. you know, he may have thought it was really healthy at the time, but probably if you've got lead that close to your body, it's probably not oh, healthy. True, yeah. True, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he also became a vegetarian. Oh, yes. Yay, Jennifer. Yeah. That's a thread through a lot of these. Yeah. So he got in shape uh, doing these various workouts and having a healthier diet. And in 1899, he ended up creating a magazine called Physical Culture. So this mm. is where the mass media starts to come in. This magazine, from what I could tell, is really the root of fitness magazine culture in the United States. Interesting. So this this guy has a really interesting story. I'd like to read more about him. I think there was good and bad here. Uh, the good, he told people that white bread was bad for you. I mean, he was really anti-white bread, which, yeah, we know that's not the healthiest thing to eat. He was a vegetarian. He opened 20 vegetarian restaurants across the U.S. that started in New York City. Uh, I thought it was interesting. He thought sex was a healthy thing as opposed to just for procreating. (laughs) So his attitudes on sex apparently drew the ire of some of the more Puritan folks at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, Now, I I started to think this was a good thing. He he opened a string of healthatoriums across the Midwest, which I guess you would just say was a gym. But then I thought, well, maybe this could be bad depending on what they were teaching at these gyms or these healthatoriums. And so, you know what? I think it probably was bad. So let's talk about the bad because he was a proponent of extreme fasting. And I know that fasting is popular these days, but he really took it to the extreme. Uh, He had people fasting for a week. And oh, he wow. thought this was, this gets into a very gendered thing. He thought this was the way for the manliest men to separate oh themselves from the pack and show how manly they were. Wow. You know, just like the, the roar of the lion, I can fast for a week. And he would take pictures of himself after fasts showing how great he looked and how lean he was. And he'd be holding like 100 pound dumbbells over his head after the fast to show he could still do it. So this is getting into that discussion of early body aesthetics. I bet he was putting these photos in his magazine, right? Right. Uh, And interestingly, he thought this fasting method, he was claiming to people, I'm sure in his marketing materials for his healthatoriums, that it would help him live to 150 years old. So actually, he died at 87, which is pretty good for the time, I would say, from a a digestive disorder. But he did not live to 150. Um, Also, he thought all doctors were quacks okay (laughs) and um again just go look at this fellow's wikipedia page it's fascinating he said about his daughter who died early from a heart problem it's better she's gone she only would have disgraced me which we can presume is because of her physical weakness yeah so that's definitely the bad about bernard and he's really the root of this this 
fitness magazine culture that I brought up early in the podcast in the United States. Wow. Well, I want to talk about a couple more figures from the turn of the century. Uh, Sylvester Graham and John Harvey Kellogg. These names might sound familiar because some of their products are still around today, but they really focused not so much on exercise, but more on, I would say they created some of the first fad diets and also some treatments that became wildly popular with some of you know the very elite at the time. So this is where we get Kellogg cereal and graham crackers. So wow. this attests to the longevity of their marketing expertise. And both of them, they have very similar views, so I'll kind of lump them together, but they both emphasized whole grains in a plant-based diet. Again, vegetarianism, a running right. thread here. Uh, back then, their cereals and graham crackers were not loaded with sugar. They would be mortified by their products today, I'm sure. But they really thought, you know, whole grains were very healthy and you should eat more plants, less meat. All good so far. Uh, Kellogg really practiced what he preached, and he was willing to try just about anything he recommended to patients. Uh, then we get to the bad. Uh, enemas and abstinence, need I say more? Uh, oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> lots of lots of enemas. That was a, a big oh. thing for Kellogg. Um, and abstinence, this one's really interesting because it's the polar opposite of Bernard you were just talking about. But uh, Kellogg believed that sex was seriously bad for your health. Wow. So he was reportedly celibate throughout his 40-year marriage, which I'd love to know what his wife thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> but... Sounds fun. Sounds like a healthy marriage. <laughs> yeah, so healthy. Um, and then, you know, speaking of girls, it, this was particularly damaging to women. And the 1920s brought about something also called the reducing craze. Uh, social historian and author Roberta Pollock said makes the connection between industrialism and these aesthetic standards of the body. So the idea that the body should be efficient and economical and beautiful. So like thin was seen to be more efficient. And um, if you think about the movie Metropolis, where the body is like a machine, right? Such an interesting idea. But um, again, the question, what gave rise to these fads? And this social historian says it was the growing prominence of Hollywood and consumer culture. So Hollywood, you had these, this thin aesthetic, you had the thin actresses that everyone wanted to emulate, and then also consumer culture, obviously, where you're promoting products to make you look a certain way. Yeah, so you can see all these trends that we were talking about starting to tie together. Mass right. media, consumerism and greed. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So exactly. this was also around the time when bodybuilding for men started to gain more prominence. Mm -hmm. And so I mentioned Bernard McFadden. So we're going to have a tie in here. Let's talk about Charles Atlas. Okay. What a guy Charles Atlas was. He was a marketing genius. Uh, and I, <laughs> I actually think what I see when, based on what I see when we were doing the research, it blew my mind because he, I hadn't read that much about him. You know, I generally knew who Charles Atlas was, right? but really he was using the same methods that a lot of online fitness influencers and product pushers use today, which oh, wow. is fascinating. And so we'll get to that. Let's talk about Charles Atlas's story. He was born Angelo Siciliano in Southern Italy in 1892, and he immigrated to New York in 1904. So at the time, he couldn't afford a gym. He worked out at home. He read Physical Culture Magazine, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, went to, they had strongman shows at Coney Island um, as kind of a sideshow. So apparently he went and watched those and talked to the strongmen and asked them for their ideas on fitness. 
he has this story that basically he was 97 pounds as a youth, which kind of resonates with me, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but then he, he balked himself up through these workouts that he was doing at home. And he became this bodybuilder pretty quickly. And in 1921, he was labeled America's Most Handsome Man by Bernard McFadden. And in 1922, Bernard McFadden also called him America's Most Perfectly Developed Man. Wow. Yeah. And remember, at this time, he's still Angelo Siciliano. Mm -hmm. Um, But he ends up changing his name to Charles Atlas. And he connects with a guy who worked for McFadden who's a British homeopathic doctor named Frederick Tilney. So Tilney Mm -hmm. was working with McFadden, apparently was bringing a lot of different ideas to McFadden for the magazine. And so Tilney had this expertise in kind of the fitness fitness industry at the time. And he helps Charles Atlas write his first mail order fitness course in 1922. And so this is where we get into some of the trends we see today. So he developed a system called dynamic tension. Just like today's fitness products, you have to have a system with a catchy name, right? And he had this famous advertising campaign in comic books, books, which apparently some think was one of the most successful advertising campaigns of all time, where he would offer up free copies of his workout booklet. Does that sound Mm -hmm. familiar? Oh, I'll give you a free copy. Download this free copy. And then, you know, you get hooked. And then you want to, in this case, you're mailing back in to Charles for his full workout program and paying money for it. But today you're just clicking a button and getting the app or getting the the full program, right? So it's amazing nice. how these same these same marketing tactics worked in the 20s wow. and 30s and all through time and are still being used to today. Uh, the ads from this campaign were amazing. Uh, I <laughs> looked at one, you know, there's several of them online. So I've got one up here. It says, "Hey, skinny, your ribs are showing." And the idea is, it's a it's a comic strip at the top mm-hmm. of the ad, and it's depicting, I suppose, Charles as a, a young man, his 97 pound weakling, and he's getting bullied by some muscular guy on the beach who's saying, "Shut up, you bag of bones." Oh gosh! And, <laughs> and so. He goes back and he says, I'm tired of being a skinny scarecrow. <laughs> Charles Atlas says he can make me a new man. I'll gamble a stamp and get his free book. So he he spent the money on a stamp to get the free book. And, and then it just says later. And he's all bulked up. And he says, boy, that didn't take long. Now I'll take care of that bully. So sure enough, he goes back to the beach, takes care of the bully. Uh, and, and then there's women around, there's a woman on his arm saying, Oh, Joe, you're a real he man after (laughs) all. And two women in the background saying, and he used to be so skinny. So again, he's surfacing that story from his youth, putting another character in it and then showing how he can help you beat up those bullies and get strong. I can make you a new man too. in only 15 minutes a day, just mail him for my 32 page illustrated (laughs) book. It's not a dollar. It's not 10 cents. It's free. Just the cost of a stamp, right? So then he gets you on the on paying for the full book. So amazing that these sorts of marketing tactics were being used. But again, in the mass media, in comic books, appealing to young men. Uh, this is some of the roots of what we see today. And of course, he had celebrity backers as well. He had so at the time, boxing was huge, right? So mm-hmm. Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano used his program. Wow. And it lived on for a long time. Apparently, the guy who played Darth Vader in the original Star Wars, David Prowse, who was a pretty physically imposing mm-hmm. guy who, of course, got dubbed over by James Earl Jones. Right. But he even used Charles Atlas's workout wow. program. So, yeah, really the roots, a lot of this sort of 
marketing culture and greed tying in with the fitness mass media at the time come from Charles Atlas? Well, you know, this made me think of something. It's a weird connection, but bear with me. It reminded me of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, actually, because they satirized this so well. There's this song, uh, In Just Seven Days, I Can Make You a Man, and the character who's Rocky actually gets all bulked up. It's, it's so funny, but I see so what they were satirizing. A- is this a bad time for me to admit I've never seen that movie? Uh, what, Alex? Oh my gosh! Yes, you need to see it just for pop culture knowledge. Come on, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll check. Okay, I'm intrigued based on the description of that scene alone. So I'll, yes, I'll check okay, it out. you have to. But that aside, I really want to talk a little bit about women because women's experience was incredibly different during up until I would say the '60s or '70s. As late as the 1960s, exercise was not thought to be particularly good for women. Um, this was actually my mom's view. She, you know, we talked a lot about sort of uh, masculinity and uh, that sort of thing. And her view was that she would tell us, you know, if you worked out too hard or if you did hard physical labor, it would turn you into a man or that it would somehow impact your reproductive health, that you'd be less uh, able to have children if you worked out heavily. And I always thought that was such a strange idea, but apparently it was fairly common in, in popular culture to think that exercise, and particularly intense exercise, was not good for women. And just to support this view, uh, you know the show Mad Men. We both watched the whole yes, series and loved it, show. right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Matt Weiner said he actually asked the female actresses not to work out heavily while they were in their roles because that sort of body, like well-developed muscles, the things that we see as you know healthy and attractive for women today, was not the standard of the day. You were supposed to be soft and not strong and fit, right? Right. So, yeah, it's just, it's interesting how different I think men's and women's experiences were throughout that period. I think that all changed when uh, Dr. Kenneth Cooper, who's from San Antonio, Texas, actually, um, he published a book called Aerobics, and it changed fitness forever. My dad had a dog-eared paperback copy that was like a Bible, and it had all these calisthenic exercises and the whole idea of aerobic fitness for your heart, right? And it was the basis for a lot of fitness trends in the 70s and 80s, which is when I was growing up. So think about Jazzercise or Richard Simmons and Jane Fonda's Buns of Steel, right? (laughs) So so basically, he came out with this seminal book, which really changed things. And then everybody jumps on, takes the concepts, and starts to market them. Exactly. And it also coincides with the women's lib movement, because some women took this as well and said, you know, fitness shouldn't just be for men. And this is interesting to me because I have conflicted views about these trends from the 70s and 80s because, you know, I I lived through and observed these, right? So for me, there was a certain toxicity to all of these fitness fads because you only saw these stick-thin, mostly white women in the ads and magazines because you have to be stick-thin to look good in leg warmers, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I'm half Latina. I have hips and thighs. I was never going to look like that. And so to me, it was very disempowering. I felt like I wasn't really, you know, the aesthetic that that was aimed towards. But at the same time, I read this article in The Atlantic that talks about how jazzercise really empowered women to get into the gym. It created a space that was for women, um, where gyms were previously considered the realm of men. So I thought it was really interesting. There's actually a quote from that article in The Atlantic. It says, 
Serving a female clientele when exercise was perceived as the domain of men, jazzercise invited women to find the joy and flair in working out. <laughs> so the good here is that there is a change in terms of the attitudes around women and fitness, but the bad is, again, the, the body aesthetics, the greed that goes along with it. Oh, exactly, because these were also huge money-making ventures. And the way to sell your product is to present a vision of what someone wants to look like, right? So, yeah, definitely still the consumerism and the um, toxicity in terms of body aesthetic. Fascinating. So, so at the same time, we've got kind of trending. I'll pull the thread even thir- further from Charles Atlas because bodybuilding is continuing to rise in prominence right. around this same time. Um, you talked about Kenneth Cooper and moving in all the way to the 80s. Around the same time, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, bodybuilding continues to gain steam. You had the first bodybuilding competition, Mr. Olympia, like the first really big, massive. They, they were having smaller um, bodybuilding competitions before, but this was begun by a Canadian bodybuilder named Joe Wider, and he was mm-hmm. building this fitness empire and so you had this rise of bodybuilding, the rise of these bodybuilding-based mag- magazines. Um, you had Muscle and Fitness, which he, I believe, founded. And there's something else that's enabling all this craze in these, these men who are getting bulked up. Oh. And it's, yeah, so this, this takes, takes it even further in terms of toxicity. It's anabolic steroids. So so the looks of the competitors that are filling up these magazines that are all over the store shelves at the drugstores and the bookstores, these, they were being enabled by anabolic steroids and Mm. because those were first really starting to be discovered in the 1950s. You had the rise of a personality who embodied all this, who was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the ultimate bodybuilder in the 1970s and eighties before he began focusing on acting and later politics. Uh, But with him leading the way, the bodybuilding craze really fueled, again, toxic fitness culture. And the thing Mm -hmm. about this is, from my perspective, uh, the physiques they were touting were not attainable by us mere mortals. (laughs) Um, uh, You can find source after source that notes that steroids were rampant in bodybuilding at the time and persist into the modern day. I found an Atlantic article from from 2014 called Drugs and the Evolution of Bodybuilding that I thought really sums it up well, uh, bringing it into present day. So I'm going to quote directly from that. The author says, the so-called mass monsters that dominate contemporary bodybuilding are both unavoidable and anonymous. Unavoidable because their images are beamed out at impressionable young men from magazines available at supermarket checkout counters around the country, and anonymous because only a handful of diehards seem to know the intimate details of these athletes' training programs. The information found in these magazines, many of which are still published by the company Joe Wider founded, is utterly misleading. The silence about the use of anabolic steroids and growth hormone is as conspicuous as the kayfabe code that once surrounded professional rest wrestling and protected that sport's most intimate secrets, aka that it's fake. Mm. So this gets again to my view of mass media being a key enabler of toxic fitness culture. Bodybuilding magazines were making guys and eventually women in the sport Mm -hmm. famous and persuading men across the country to aspire to this unrealistic idea of fitness and what their body should look like. But also, I think you take it a step further there with the workouts they were promoting in all these fitness magazines 
they did very segmented workouts. I mentioned in mm-hmm. our first podcast that this is how I learned to, to work out with strength training uh, in, in 1999. So you do chest one day, back the next, arms the next. That's great if you're taking steroids, but right. uh, those workouts aren't so effective uh, without them. So I think it's interesting if you look at the the fitness trends today, you don't see that. You see a trend towards total body fitness, right? Mm-hmm. So it was even affecting the workouts that they were promoting in these magazines. Because yeah, if I'm shooting up with steroids, I can get giant biceps and just sit there and work out my biceps for an hour and a half every day. Uh, but if you're not, not on steroids, obviously, that may not be the best approach to take. So amazing to me that all of this really that we we can draw a thread from the early 20th century today see these trends from mass media greed consumerism uh and and body aesthetics that take us right up to present day right jen exactly all the way up to instagram it's so it's fascinating to me that that the single thread through all of that is really consumerism and mass media yeah, just fascinating. So I think what we've learned in this whole discussion is that the roots of toxic fitness culture go way back, right? It's not a new thing. What we're seeing on the internet, on Instagram, with the influencers today, it's just the latest manifestation of something that goes back centuries, honestly. So what's the antidote for all this toxicity? I mean, I think it comes down to focusing on the fundamentals, right? Right, right. So some of the fundamentals that we've talked about on the podcast and on the newsletter, um, taking an approach to your fitness that's practical, something that fits into your everyday life. That's something that's generally healthy. You're not overtraining and knowing that you can't necessarily reach all these unrealistic body aesthetics that you see online or uh, that you see being promoted in, you know, magazines and things of that nature. Exactly. And then right along with that, empowering, right? Fitness that makes you feel good about yourself, that builds both strength in your body and mind and not chasing this unrealistic aesthetic. And then, you know, I think one of the things that's most important to me is inclusivity. And some of the through line and what we've talked about is that fitness has not always been very inclusive of women, of different body types, etc. But, you know, fitness is for everybody. And we've said this over and over again, full stop, no matter who you are, fitness is there for you, you know. Exactly. So, so the antidote is focusing on on these types of fundamentals and and really maybe maybe you need to get off Instagram if that's yes. because <laughs> because I mean really I think it can be unhealthy and again this the, all this history that we've gone through today in the United States starting at the turn of the century just shows like you said Jen this isn't a new thing. So hope you've enjoyed our, our deep dive into toxic yeah. fitness culture. Like I said, there's a lot there. I think <laughs> this could be someone's entire podcast series, but we did want to talk about it because we thought it was fascinating. And, you know, it it's almost like you once you name something that's out there and you talk about it, you take a little bit of the power away. Right? That's people right. See it for what it is. So that's what we're trying to do here. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, again, if you have ideas for the podcast or you have feedback, please let us know. Send me an email, alex at practically.fit. We'd also appreciate it since we're a new podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, we would it would mean a lot if you reviewed it on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider, which will help us grow our listenership. Uh, and of course, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Just head out to practically.fit. 
yes, that dot fit is now a, a domain, which is awesome. So go out there and subscribe. It's really easy. Drop your email address in and you'll get content uh, weekly from us. And don't forget to join us next week as Jen and I, we're going to have a, a fun podcast next week. We're going to talk about our biggest fitness failures. Oh Jen, yeah. You, oh yeah. I'm down for this. One? I'm excited yeah. for this. Yes. I think there'll be some good stories there. So Thanks for listening. And as always, remember, fitness is for everybody.